like it's a double-edged sword like we want them to understand the value of a dollar but we don't want them to link their productivity to the value of a dollar if that makes sense hi i'm lindsay stanberry i am the founder of the purse which is a site for women and money and i worked for many years as a journalist at fortune and cnbc and refinery 29 and I'm Barbara Ginty, and I'm a certified financial planner. I'm the host of the Future Rich podcast, and I own a wealth management firm during the day. And Lindsay and I are very excited to be bringing you a four-week series where we're interviewing real women about their money. It should be really interesting. Tune in, and you can check out all of our interviews. Uh, well, welcome. I, we appreciate you joining us today. Yes, thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So do you want to start off by telling us a little bit about yourself? Yes. Okay. So I am Kel Schulze. I am based out of Eastern Wisconsin. Um, I grew up in like kind of an interesting environment for less like lack of better words. Um, So my upbringing has kind of affected like how I view my finances and how I even manage my money. Um, I had a lot of childhood trauma growing up so dealing with working through the trauma and even my self-worth in relation to money has kind of been a hard thing to overcome over the last couple of years and so that's why I jumped at the opportunity to come on this podcast and kind of talk about that because it's been I feel like it's not it's something that's more talked about now than it has been in the past Um, but on top of that I also grew well when I was 18, my mom actually suffered uh, a disabling accident, and that kind of changed the way that I viewed money also going forward because of how she was managing her finances and the stress of that home life when I'd come home from college. That's a lot. And you're right. It's gotten better, but we still don't talk about it enough. And how you're brought up and what you see really creates a lot of habits and, and forms your opinion um, and view of money. And yeah, as you said, it can take time to work, work through all of that to change your relationship. Yes, definitely. Kel, I'm curious, what do you do? And do you have a partner or kids? Yes. So I am mainly a stay-at-home mom, um, but I also do write on like my personal blog called Badgerland Budgeting on the side and kind of talk about basically my life experiences and how that's affected how I manage money. Um, I do also have two kids. I have two under the age of four. So it's a wild house. (laughs) And I do have and I am married to my spouse as of like 12 years, actually. Wow. Coming up. Yeah. So yeah, it's yeah, it's been a lot that they and I have worked through with everything. But yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. Two under four. That's tough. Mine's seven. So he's feel like I'm, I've kind of made it over the hump. <laughs> yeah, my my oldest just started preschool this week. So well, this oh. last week. So it's been just an adjustment. It's half day. But they're having the time of their life there right now. So that's yeah, that's all I can ask for. <laughs> yeah, that is. That is. Four is a great age, though. Yes. <laughs> so tell me a little bit about when you were growing up, like what, how has that impacted your relationship with money? And then what areas have you like started to work on and what has been your experience with that? So I grew up, um, my parents are on polar opposite ends of like 
what they like what kind of environment they grew up in. My dad came from a lot of general generational wealth in Northern Illinois. He grew up in Highland Park and my mom grew up right. Yeah. And my mom grew up right next door in Highwood, Illinois. And my mom's parents were great depression era where they struggled. My maternal grandma grew up on a farm in Northern Wisconsin and whereas my dad's parents already had the generational wealth, both of their parents were very well off during the Great Depression era. So it's kind of interesting in that like mindset, like where my grandparents didn't had different various stories growing up as well, like the experiences, their relationship with money. So that kind of trickled into how my parents went about finances as well. My parents got divorced when I was about eight and it started like a 10, like a decade long discussion about like how like finances should be viewed in like a relationship because my dad had the money to support my older sister and I, but chose not to do it. Um, He actively didn't buy us school supplies didn't buy us new clothes when we needed it when things did get bought it was for our birthdays or Christmas it was kind of a mess and my mom who didn't have the money and my maternal grandparents were the ones that ended up supporting both my sister and I and my parents had 50 50 custody of both my sister and I so it was a hard way to grow up because Like, I knew that my dad had the money to support my Mm -hmm. sister and I. He just actively chose not to really do it. And it, it, like, now, that's a big thing that I've been working through is understanding that that was neglect. But at the same time, I'm not sure if he understood it was neglect because it might have been the same way that he was raised. So it's kind of interesting to think about. Yeah, that's very interesting to think about. And then how has that impacted so curious. So now you're a stay-at-home parent, right? Yes. So you're relying solely on your partner for that income. So does that bring up anything for you? Because, right, if your was your dad also the breadwinner in the relationship? Yes. Yes. My dad um, was a auto mechanic and did very well for himself. Like near the end of his life, my dad unfortunately passed from COVID in October oh. of 2020. So Sorry. he. Thank you. So. Um, like about six years before that happened, he owned his own garage in Northern Wisconsin and was doing very well for himself. Um, but going back to like my personal self, like every day, it's, it's hard because I ended up losing my job in early 2021, kind of realizing early on, like that I really, like after I got fired, I really put a lot of my worth into my job. And so kind of separating my self-worth from, my productivity and the income that I bring was something that I still sometimes am struggling with because of the fact that the income that we're living off of is entirely my spouse's. So was it a a decision, your decision not to go back to work? Did it have to do with having two small kids or not finding another job that you wanted to do or what sort of is the impetus for that decision? So I, um, at the time when I got let go, it was March of 2021 and Wisconsin still had um, like the COVID 
boost. I don't know exactly like the extra income on top of the unemployment benefits. Um, So I was applying for jobs at the time actively. I had quite a lot of interviews at the time Mm -hmm. that I was applying for as well. And I'd get the interviews I had with one company. I had like up to a third interview and then they decided that they weren't going to fill the position. And that was happening quite a lot to me. So I just, and then my husband, my husband and I sat down and we crunched the numbers and we're like between childcare and what some of these companies are paying, it just doesn't make sense to go back to work. Yeah. And you're able to collect the, the, the extra benefit to the unemployment. Yes. And that I made collected- a really big difference for people. Yeah, it was like for the state of Wisconsin, I think it was like an additional $300. And that was the first two months that was on unemployment, we were able to do that without having to do a work search. And then Mm -hmm. um, state legislator changed that changed that and then they wanted to go back to the four like mandatory work searches Like you had to do four work searches in order to get your benefits. And then that was also when the extra payment from COVID ended as well. So I think weekly I was making about like $360 just base benefits but then with that extra $300 boost it was like $630 which was really helpful yeah Mm -hmm. yeah and had you ever used childcare? I've done a lot of um, reporting around childcare, and I know it can be really hard in some areas to even find good affordable child care I was looking and it was a lot of wait lists. And then the ones that like recently they actually opened because there's a lot of manufacturing in Sheboygan with like Sargento, Kohler company, things like that. They recently opened actually like a 24 hour childcare. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. It was much needed, but it took a lot of fighting against the city to even have it open, which I feel like is absolutely ridiculous as a parent. Yeah, they're, they're, yeah, ne- negotiating those uh, those regulations and everything—they're in place for good reason. But it also feels like you get you get kind of screwed when you're trying to work weird hours or whatever. It's not set up for, yep. for parents of young children. It's not set up for parents of children of any age, really. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. And the childcare is often quite expensive. So is that what you found when you were evaluating the childcare costs, that it wasn't worth you working because of what you would, because you have to pay taxes on your income, right? And then, so what you have to make in order to cover the childcare costs, that's how hectic it makes your life. Yeah, it was about um, what I would take home would have only left us with maybe like a couple of hundred left. Which is not worth it, like, running around like a crazy person trying to drop the kids, the kids ready to drop the kids off and then they get sick more often ten, typically in childcare. Yep. yeah so that was like the main reason why I just chose not to go back to work was just because it it just didn't pan out like it just yeah. financially didn't make a lot of sense yeah yeah I, I see that a lot on the podcast when we go over the childcare cost numbers like you your salary needs to be substantially higher for it to be worth I want to say the effort because it's a lot of work to put your kids in child. I mean, I don't know from experience, Lindsay probably knows better, but it's a lot of, it's see, watching it, it's a lot of work. And then if you're not making any money off of it, if you're a couple hundred dollars a month, it doesn't, doesn't seem to, yeah. there's no incentive to do that. Yeah, I definitely agree there. It just, and like even just the effort of like 
getting everyone dressed, drop yeah. off, pick up elves. It's just like at the end of the day, if you're only making like a couple hundred more dollars, it's just, it's right. a lot of stress for not a lot of payoff. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, definitely. And like when I was working, I was the primary one holding the, the health insurance. I was the primary person, like my husband was making more, but I had better benefits. At, mm-hmm. So it was like a, so when I ended up losing my job, we ended up having to go on his um, employer's benefits. And those were much more expensive. I think per paycheck, I was paying about like $230 for mm-hmm. myself, my spouse, and my oldest at the time. And then when it just went, and then when we went over to um, his employer's benefits, it was $500 every two weeks for myself, him, and my oldest. And then when my youngest was born, it stayed the same because it was the family the plan. Employee plus family, yeah. Mm-hmm. But I mean, it still was really expensive. And thankfully, my spouse was able to barter with his um, boss and was able to have his boss pay for I think half of the benefits near the end. That's great. Oh wow! Okay, so it's less than a thousand now because he so he he paid five hundred and they paid five hundred. Yeah, um, that was so that was his career when we first when I first lost my job. He has switched okay. careers since now. He works for um an insurance broker, and it's still much less than what he was having to pay out of pocket at the bakery that he was working at. Oh, okay, that's good. Yeah. <laughs> That comes to be quite expensive. And so what have you done then? So, cause that's interesting that you can you have experience with I would, what I would call like financial trauma growing up. And so that definitely impacts how all these big, I mean, you have big decisions, right? Do you have to go back to work? Um, like who's covering benefit? So that, that all impacts how you make those decisions usually. Yes, definitely. Um, so I, it took a lot for me to open up and be honest about like my upbringing to my spouse. Like it was probably at least like a good five or six years into us, like even like through dating and being engaged in like our early marriage, I didn't really go into full detail about like how things were. They were um, understanding things like that. My mom was repetitively saying when we would go and visit, like my mother, unfortunately would say a lot of negative things about my dad in front of me and my my husband was picking up on that and he's like, this isn't really a great way to talk about like your parents. And I was like, like one speaking ill of the other. And I was like, yeah, I understand that. And he's like, okay, so when, like, is this why you have a hard time explaining things to me or even talking about hard subjects because of how, like what you've seen happen to your parents. And I was like, I basically just nodded and was like, yes. So it took a lot for us to be open and honest especially on my end about like things like even like down to like hey like we've been spending a lot of money on groceries that go bad like I felt really bad speaking up about that because it just felt like we were wasting money on groceries because we weren't necessarily always shopping with a list like we'd go in hungry overbuy, end up with a lot of stuff that we just ended up going to waste and so those talks um were first kind of like facilitated and put into place with doing um, Financial Peace University with a group of our friends. Well, two of our friends from the friend group, we did that um, course and that like helped start things like started the ball rolling on some things. But then um, even more so, I believe it was um, 
Chelsea Fagan from the financial diet. I feel like she's had a few videos on like financial trauma and things like that. And I usually watch her videos quite often. So it was really interesting to have that conversation be something because I feel like it isn't something that is talked about quite often anymore. I mean, thankfully nowadays it is because of everyone talking about like the people's backstories and why things happen the way that they are in current day and how sometimes it's trauma responses. Sometimes it's just lack of knowing Mm -hmm. like um, just even basic like financial stuff. Sorry, what was the course you did with your friend group? Financial Peace University. It's the Dave Ramsey course. Dave Ramsey course. And was helpful? It kind of was, but it also uh, ironically made me feel really bad about the financial situation that we were in. Like it made my internal shame kind of feel bad. So when we took that course, um, my husband and I had just bought our house. So that was like in 2018. Mm -hmm. And we... We're feeling like we knew we could afford the house. That was not an issue. We knew that we had the money in case something went bad, like if something needed to get fixed within our house. Mm-hmm. But we just wanted to generally find like a system that worked better for us with our budgeting and personal finances. But our friend group, I feel like our friends that we took it with, I feel like they got more out of it than we did because I kind of was feeling, I, I think it was because of my like my past, my child trauma, the financial trauma and everything, I felt immediately like I was getting shamed for even being in the financial situation that we were in. And that situation being that you had bought, because it sounds like you were in a good position because not everyone's able to buy a house. You were able to buy a house. So was it what part of that program made you feel bad about your finances? I, I feel like that sounds like a success, right? And you bought it before COVID when interest rates were low. You had the it sounds like you had the savings in case because we talk about this a lot, like houses are expensive. So that all sounds very positive. So what part of that kind of drove the the shame factor? I feel like so we bought the house and we definitely had some credit card debt. And it was Hmm. not necessarily like mismanagement on our behalf Mm -hmm. of like our credit card debt. It was it's just some it's basically just a commonplace debt. But because of the way that Dave Ramsey teaches his course, it just makes you feel like, oh, I could have, like, it makes you kind of reevaluate all of the past money. And I wouldn't even say that they're mistakes. It's just the transactions that you've made and, like, second guess, like, is this worth it? Yeah, I understand that commonplace. Like, you want to kind of second guess and understand, like, why you're emotionally driven to purchase something. But it just, the undertones kind of felt shamey. Like, you're a bad person because you bought, like, such and such. Like, it just it didn't resonate with me the way I thought that it would. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. He does put a lot of emphasis on debt payoff above all else for better or worse. Yeah. He kind of oversimplifies it. I think. I agree because there's so much, I feel like emotionally involved in regards to debt payoff. And I feel like a lot of people, like even when it comes to like personal finances, a lot of people just view it as numbers and you can't, do that necessarily if you want to be successful like you need to understand like the emotions behind so even like certain purchases or why you're struggling financially because sometimes it's not entirely your fault like like systemically like minimum wage is what it is and it hasn't changed in how many decades now like there's a lot of things at play and you can't entirely take the blame yourself when things aren't changing to the benefit anyone really right Right. That's great. You guys own your home. 
Chloe got it at a good interest rate too. Yeah, I think it was like three and a half percent that we had as an interest rate, which is great. Like in comparison to renting, Mm -hmm. it really, even with like, because we had to have PMI and things like that for our house, it was still about the same as a rent payment. So it was a really great idea at the time in 2018. Yeah, absolutely. I, my personal opinion is we will not see those days together. Maybe in our lifetime, but I think it'll be like in our retirement when we're looking at that and not purchase. Um, so I think, you know, it was great that you got a house and you got it at a, a fantastic rate. I mean, I don't, I really just don't think we're going to see rates below four anytime in the near future. Oh, I agree with that. It's just, it's wild to see what the interest rates have gone up to even like the last couple of years. Yeah, they've more about doubled from what you got. Yeah. Like, so, I can't picture buying a house right now and being comfortable with it with that interest rate. Yes, yeah, so overall, it was great. So I wouldn't worry. I, I do agree. I think that the premise was correct in that, you know, he's trying to help people get control of their finances, but I do agree it's oversimplified and it's not debt payoff at all costs. Like, what you did was right, which is, take advantage of a historically low mortgage rate that like mm-hmm. to me that was the best move because that might never happen again you can you can pay off the credit card at any point and having credit card that is going to ebbs and flows with life you know what's going on in your life but a three and a half percent mortgage rate is probably a one-time event in the course of your purchasing one like you know, 30 years which i don't think he said that on the class probably <laughs> no definitely not like it's funny when he would like break down like the baby steps and like the certain things that like he want like his baby steps and like I understand like why paying off the house is last because it's usually the largest debt and it's Mm -hmm. usually like as long as you have a house like a roof over your head it's not something that's like as dire as like paying off credit card debt and stuff like that Mm -hmm. but even that sometimes depending on how much it is it's not that dire like I feel like there's only so much personalizing you can do within like his steps and be successful, if that makes sense. Yeah. I think that's generally a problem with personal finance is that it is uh, the advice is often very general and doesn't apply to specific circumstances. So a lot of it is you have to do research and then make those decisions on how to make it work for you. Definitely. And I feel like, and I feel like both my husband and I are able to do that nowadays is like, okay, what is going to take, like, what's, what should be our main focus right now? Like we, um, because of my dad dying from COVID in 2020, um, I ended up getting a fairly large sum inheritance from him. And so when I finally got that inheritance before last Thanksgiving, we sat down and we we're like, okay, what do we want to pay off? what do we want to put into savings? Because a lot of it was thankfully in liquid, like we didn't need to sell a whole lot of Mm -hmm. um, stocks and things like that. And so we were able to finally like decide like, okay, what things are important to us to pay off? What things are important for us to have in savings saved up? And what do we want to do with the rest? And that was, not a great conversation to have for me because it dredged up a lot of the old feelings of like my dad had this amount of money 
but yet didn't provide for me or I, I was going to ask how did it feel yeah. to know that he had access to all of that and I'm sure some of that would have served you nicely growing up like if he could have helped with something you needed for school or instead of struggling growing up and then you inherited all because of his passive with his mother and then to know that there was all of this money that kind of like looking at from the outside like it damaged your relationship a, a bit it sounds like and he created these traumas for you when in the end you were going to be the one getting it anyway right some yeah so that must have been i don't know kind of like a catch-22 you like saw everything he had access to all that time yeah i didn't know the total of it at the time like what it like when before he died i didn't know what his net worth was mm-hmm. and then once it hit public records of what his net worth was is when it felt like a sucker punch yeah, because I, it was over a million yeah it was over a million dollars and it was wow. like it really stung because yeah. both my sister and i kind of had a strained relationship with him because of this because so much of our life was in limbo because we didn't get the support that we needed from him and it's so it was really hard having that inheritance and sitting down and breaking it down and being like okay what's important to us and then I kept telling my husband I was like I want to use this money to help other people like as well like I don't just want it sitting there and growing like I want to be able now that I have this money I want to be able to help others so they don't have to dig themselves out of a big hole if that makes sense and thankfully like I was actually able to help a close friend of mine Um, she actually had an apartment fire a couple of months ago and I was able to send her a large sum of money without feeling guilty for it at all and like help her out so that she could have a place to live for a couple of months while her apartment was being restored and then um, also just to be able to cover her expenses because she had to buy a whole bunch of new stuff because of the apartment fire. And that sense, it kind of made me laugh internally because my dad was like a penny pincher when it came down to things all the time. And I honestly don't know if he would have done the same thing that I did without even like batting the eye. Like my friend called me and she felt really guilty for even asking. And I was like, don't like that I told you like because I had talked to her for um months about this inheritance and I was like I have said since day one that I've wanted to be able to help people with this money and so happens to be that you you were the first recipient of it that's really nice it became public record is that because it wasn't beneficiary driven that it went through the probate court so that you could see yes unfortunately we had about oh gosh it was about 25 months of going through probate. Mm-hmm. So he didn't have you and your sister down. No, and he didn't even have a will, which was kind of ironic growing up because he always threatened to write us out of the will and he didn't end, ends up. He didn't even have a will. He didn't mm-hmm. have one. Oh, wow. So you had to go through 25 months of court, basically. Yeah. Well, that's very nice. Really that you helped helped. Your, yeah, helped your, your friend out. How, but yeah, it's your experience with your own, the way you grow up, your kids are still very young, obviously, but how is that making you think about how you want to handle? With my financial upbringing and that whole situation and the childhood trauma, because it's more murkier than that, there's so much that went on in my childhood, unfortunately. I, like my husband and I have had talks where we just want to be out, like 
honest about our to our kids like we already have upma accounts set up for them and we have already been like investing in their name and like we don't want them growing up thinking that they have like all this money and that they like like it's a double edged sword like we want them to understand the value of a dollar but we don't want them to link their productivity to the value of a dollar if that makes sense so in your household you'll because, yeah, it was Lindsay said they're still very young. But you, you kind of having transparent conversations about finances and trying to do the opposite, I guess, of what you saw growing up. Yes. And, like, honestly, I kind of feel like that's how my parenting has been from the get-go is the complete opposite of what I grew up in. And what's your husband's experience like? Is he bringing his own – I mean, everyone brings their own, you know, personal finance baggage to – a relationship but have you a have you been able you talked in the beginning about how very different your parents were from their own experience but with you and your husband are your experiences similar or do you find yourself also having some tension there it's kind of funny because we were just talking about this this weekend <laughs> he has said um he said this weekend that like he has trouble spending any money on himself and that's been the case even for me like since our kids have been born is that mm-hmm. it's hard to even like justify spending money on ourselves sometimes because it's like the kids have their needs met but yet for some odd reason we keep putting ours on the back burner so his household um his dad was a union electrician for at least like 20, 25 years. Unfortunately, his dad had to retire early because he um, ended up having MS and it was affecting him being on scaffolding. So he retired from electrician work at the age of 42. And he has his pension plus was collecting disability as well because of that. So financially, his side of the family has been well off, but it's funny because he still has a lot of the same problems that I do in regards to like your worth and value in relation to money. That's interesting. But for the most part, you both feel, it seems like you're fairly aligned and you're pretty open in your conversations about money, which is great. Yeah. We, yeah, we both kind of have the same beliefs with money, which is kind of funny and great at the same time, but it's, it's interesting how he had more of a secure upbringing and still had a lot of the same financial trauma and feelings that I do. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting that you both have that same anxiety. And then how long long you said got disabled or is disabled? Yes. How has that impacted you? So are you having to help her? She is good financially now. Um, But early on, um, so she got, she had a freak accident with a horse where she was booked off and the horse also stomped on her ankle. So oh she, um, oh my yeah. God. so she had some of her lower vertebrae crushed and then also has five screws in one of her ankles. Mm-hmm. Um, so at that time it was thought that she could go back to work as an office manager at the real estate office that she worked at. But when she was cleared to finally go back, um, her boss actually ended up firing her. Oh no. So, yeah. So she went on unemployment and then was able to file for disability and seeing that. And at the time she was remarried to my now current stepdad, they almost lost their house. They were close to losing, like they were living very as cheaply 
as they could. And it was really hard to see that and go home to that every break from college. But I felt like I needed to go home and be with them just to kind of be there. But it was really hard at that time when they were, I didn't know how close they were to losing the house in 2010 until I think about 2013 is when my mom finally told me how close they were to losing the house. God, that must have been awful to watch. It was. And my mom, I feel like, shielded me from a lot of it as yeah. well until a couple of years after when they finally felt like they were out of the hole. Mm-hmm. But it's yeah. still like there were a lot of things that like I saw and was recognizing and it was still really hard to see it happen. Do you find yourself, you know, I mean, you and your husband, like with his father and your mother having to, you know, watch your family members deal with these disabilities, has that impacted the way that you save for emergencies and things like that? Yes, it dramatically has. Um, We now have like a six month cushion. I honestly have been working on saving as well for like our medical deductible, just so Mm -hmm. that that isn't such a big hit because after seeing what my mom's like hospital bills were after her injury and then hearing about it and then also hearing about how expensive my dad's hospitalization would have been for COVID. Mm-hmm. Like that has completely like, it's, it's not something that you would think that you'd want to save for like a medical emergency, but now because of all of that, it's kind of become like a top priority for myself and my husband. Yeah. What about disability insurance? I would think having that. Become disabled young. Like 42 is young. Your highest earnings tend to be in your 40s and 50s from an earnings standpoint. So to go out on disability at 42, you're missing out on a lot of opportunity. So it seems like, yeah, that makes sense that like emergency fund is fantastic. Saving for medical emergencies is big because those deductibles can be quite high with a big medical emergency. But um, disability insurance is something that's not talked about a lot. Like you can have disability insurance because qualifying for social security disability which is what you're referencing is actually quite hard and complicated to get deemed disabled it is yes it it is it almost took um so both my mom and my stepdad are qualified as disabled under ssi and it took it almost took i think it took my mom was lucky and got it on the first time um my stepdad almost had to fight to have it the second time yeah it's a hard qualification process yeah, I've heard it often it takes lawyers to get involved, right? You usually yes, need a lawyer. Because I'm, mm-hmm. Yeah, unfortunately, um, because of how like disability is defined with SSI, it's very rigid and it hasn't been updated for all of these new, well, not mm-hmm. even new, like just different, right. like it's just yeah. it's so rigid. It's not, I understand why they don't want it broad, but at the same time, they need to update it in regards to current diagnoses as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a, com- it's a complicated system. It often does require a lawyer. If it's not very clear cut, like bl- blindness is automatic, right? Mm-hmm. But if you're not, if you don't have one of the very clear possibilities that, you know, blind is very easy to prove, um, then it usually does require an attorney. Generally, that's what I mm-hmm. see at least to, to do the filing for you, to navigate the system. Mm-hmm. So have you guys looked at that? I, I would think that that would be something, given your experience, that you would have investigated. We honestly haven't <laughs> but oh, we've okay stopped. yeah we've um actually been talking more because of how my father-in-law's ms has been progressing we've been talking mm-hmm. more about like long-term care insurance more recently because my father-in-law um got sick at the end of 2021 
was hospitalized and then it further progressed his MS to a point where he can't live at home anymore. So mm-hmm. now he's in a long term. Yeah. Now he's in a long term care facility. And that is because of the fact that he has the income that he does because of his um, electrician's pension and then his yeah. disability. He's paying out of pocket for it, which is about 10 grand every month. Yeah. Yeah. That's which is very, expensive. very expensive. I will say Lindsay and I are lucky to be in the metro area where it's around 17,000. We're one of the most expensive in the country. Oh, oh my goodness. Uh-huh. Yeah. Which is crazy. I mean, 10,000 is very, very expensive. Don't get it's me wrong. Still very but expensive. expensive. But yeah, it's it's gotten really expensive. I will say what I do with long-term care is when you buy it and you're young and healthy, the premiums just get really expensive and there's class action lawsuits going on now. And so like they're trying to buy some of the uh, vendors are trying to buy themselves out of the contract because if we got an inflation adjustment of 5%, it actually hasn't kept up with the inflation of the, the long-term care facility. So they're trying mm-hmm. to people get people to settle out of the contracts. And, and the thing is you might not be able to settle out, even if you settle out of the contract or if you decide to keep it, doesn't mean they're not going to go through there. Right. That's the problem because it's private insurance that are selling the long-term care policies. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, long-term care is a tricky thing. There's other ways you can protect against long-term care, which is using legal mechanisms. We'll have to see what happens with the long, we're, we're young enough to, we'll be able to see what happens with the long-term care space. But it, my prediction on it is I do think we're going to see some of these vendors who sold the policies go under because they're not going to be able to afford the cost because they didn't project it accurately enough. Yeah, I know my, after everything with my dad, not having a will, and then my father-in-law has like a lot of medical POA stuff directly to my husband um both he and i in early 2022 wrote up our wills and then now we're starting to even think about like the next steps of like how to protect our assets and things like that when it comes to like if we need long-term care yeah there's a lot of great ways to protect it and as Lindsay knows like i'm a big fan of estate planning i no one likes to talk about it but you've been through it you've been through the worst of it which a good estate plan can help protect against disability um, yep. We can't protect against death. Death is a sure thing, right? Taxes and death are going to happen to everybody. But you can avoid probate and you can avoid what I would say, like financial trauma upon your passing. Um, and so I think estate planning is super important. But there's a lot you can do with estate planning. Plan for long-term care, plan for God forbid something happens to you, your husband, for your children. There's a lot you can do with estate planning. And it gets looked over, as you said. A lot of people skip it. Yeah. And I feel like it's not something that should be looked over because there's a lot of different avenues. Like it's not just one size fits all. Like you can customize it to whatever your needs are. And so we've been talking to our attorney already about like setting up an estate and figuring out what our needs are and adjusting as needed. Yeah. It's just like the, it's like a double whammy combo of like death and money. (laughs) You really don't want to think about it at all. I know, but it's, it, and you don't want to end up in like the situation where like we did after my dad's death where you avoided it for so long and like it's funny because my stepmom was like yeah we were even like talking about like hey we should have a will written up and then they both wound up sick with covid and my stepmom's like we didn't do it soon enough and i was like obviously not but it's it's happened now there's nothing that we can do about it so it was unfortunately like a long process for both her my sister and i to wait until everything got sorted within court, which 25 well, months what, is not ideal. What did that cost? Just curious. What were the total fees? Oh, it was, 
I think it was close to at least like five figures. I could be wrong. Yeah, so the, the way I look at it is like you can pay me twenty for like three grand, or you can pay them when you don't do it, and you can multiply that number by like ten. Yeah, it's yeah. unreal, and it was just it, it was a lot, and I. Like my sister ended up giving, like we were getting updates from my stepmom, but because I live four hours away from where this all was happening, both my sister and I ended up giving her like the right to decide what to do with the estate. Mm -hmm. um, but it was just, she was like, it was just never ending every day. She ended up actually having to retire early just to, to deal handle it. with, yeah, it was so much stuff. It was unreal. And I don't envy her for going through that alone. Yeah. Yeah, people don't realize what a mess it is. And the hard time is if you're working, the lawyer typically is nine to five. They're not going to make an exception for you. If they do, it's going to be asked on the same time. So you need to get all of your paperwork and responses in during the business day, when they're, which is also when court is. So, and it's like they can, if you miss something, it's, I have like a probate uh, filing in my office as well. Like every FedEx is billed, every copy is billed, like, and when you're dealing with large amounts, I feel like the price goes up. Yeah. And it's like, because there was just so much that my dad never had beneficiaries on. And it was a lot to weed through. I think it took him like even just eight months to weed through everything and collect everything and get it all in one TOD account. Mm -hmm. And it was, it was just a mess. Well, it's a process when it's organized, but it is just, it becomes like, yeah, unruly when it's not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it it was such a mess. Well, I'm glad that you're using that as a learning opportunity. That's one way to look at it, right? Is that you won't put your kids through that. Yeah, definitely. But it it still is hard to think about sometimes at the same time because it's like growing up and hearing that for like, at least it was like for 10 years of like, if you don't do this my way or such and such way, like you're going to be written out of the will and then come to find out at the it wasn't like, even at one. The age of, yeah, at the age of 29 that there wasn't even one. So it's like, what charade is this? Yeah, that's a lot. It must have really been shocking to see where he stood financially in the end. It, it really was um, because there was an instance when I was 15 and my mom was on her second marriage and my mom's second husband was, there was a domestic violence situation going on for about like five years. And my dad probably could have filed an emergency order and gotten me removed from the situation because like at 15, I found out that he was aware of the situation. And then seeing the dollar amount that he had, like in assets, it really that's kind of honestly what sent me to therapy this last November yeah. was he could have done something but chose not to do something that's a lot to deal with so, I'm really sorry that you went through that thank you it it is now mostly resolved through therapy but it still is just like a lingering thing especially like in regards to like how I feel valued by other people and even mm -hmm. that kind of relates to like how I feel valued in like relation to money like why I have such an issue spending money because I feel like I'm not valued as a person so why should I spend money on myself when I don't feel valued if that makes sense yeah it makes sense you should you should spend some money on yourself sometimes yes yeah and you're and have, but, too. yes but it's just it's 
it's a hard situation when for so many years it just it wasn't like that it's really interesting yeah. the way that the way that people interact with money and sometimes it's like when you don't feel good you spend it to overcompensate and other times people don't spend it to overcompensate and it's just very interesting the way that it kind of all shakes out yeah and that's kind of ironic that you bring that up because a lot of so I when my oldest was born I experienced birth trauma um, I had preeclampsia and needed an emergency c-section and that sent me spiraling through postpartum depression and during that postpartum depression I wound up spending a lot to try and find joy happiness and something and that was yeah. also my oldest was born in January of 2020 two months into her being born we all know what happened and I lost all of my support that I was having with friends and family. Yeah. So it was a really tough time. And just navigating that alone just kind of sent me spiraling and spending money on little hobbies and silly little things. And I wound up having $6,000 in credit card debt at the time. Yeah, it's easy to it's easy to fall into that habit of, of mm-hmm. treats. And especially when you've got a new baby and you're just looking for any kind of lifeline to feel like normal again. Yeah. And that was definitely a rough time to, and I know a lot of other parents, especially ones who had COVID kids understand exactly how hard it was doing a lot of this solo. Like a lot of people didn't have even like the family support that would have been expected to be there when their kid is young. Yeah. It's a a special generation of kids for sure. Definitely. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you're in therapy because it's, it's a lot to work through on your own. I, I definitely think having a professional help you find some, I don't know, I mean, you've been through a lot, but to, to find, help you find some joy with your finances so that it's not something that brings up trauma and, and shame. And hopefully you can, as Lindsay said, spend some money on yourself and find some joy in it. Yeah. Yeah. I honestly can't thank my therapist enough. Like she has been so great with like identifying certain things and even like little little behaviors that you wouldn't think are linked to like certain events in my life Mm -hmm. and it's just unreal how even like tiny little things can play out and overall kind of screw things up like long term because that's just the nature of trauma unfortunately well Kel this is an incredible story I appreciate you sharing it with Lindsay and I being so candid about everything thanks for listening I know it's not a heavy topic like I know it's not an easy topic to talk about I know it's heavy and it's not it's not pretty and a lot of people don't want to hear stories that aren't pretty because it's it's just life it's the it's the grittiness of life but it's important it's important to talk about it because at some point everyone's parents are going to pass away and disabilities are actually more commonplace than an early death. It's more likely you are to become disabled than you are to be disabled. So it's an important thing to talk about. But I agree, no one, want, no one, want, it's not a fun topic, right? Because it involves money and disabled and disability or death. It's something that people, you know, sweep under the rug, but it is an important yeah. topic to talk about. And I will say that it usually falls on the women of the household, right? Yeah more often than Definitely. not, especially for if you're a stay-at-home parent, it's not necessarily be your problem. And so I think it's even more important that as women we talk about it because it's most likely going to fall on your plate. Definitely. And I feel like having this conversation just be out there to just showcase to others like, hey, like these things can happen 
and it's not something that you shouldn't think about because it's something that we all should think about at least not have in the back of our mind but at least be aware of it that these things Mm -hmm. can happen and like you said early death is not a common thing disability like becoming disabled is more commonplace than a lot of people think Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely especially with all the effects we're going to see from covid from people that have residual issues yes yeah definitely definitely my my mother i mean that my stepmom, unfortunately, is one of those people that has long COVID now since having it. And it's just, it's unreal. And it's really hard to see because I like, I remember her like, and what she was like before becoming sick with COVID. And then like this July, I actually went and visited her when I was back in my hometown and actually got a couple of things of my dad's finally. And just unfortunately, like how it's just ravaged her body. Like it has made her lungs not have the capacity that they had and like she's trying her best to live life after it but it's just it's really hard Mm -hmm. it's really tough yeah well COVID has had long lasting impacts that I think we've yet to kind of fully yeah I agree completely with that thank you so much for sharing your story with us you're welcome